Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. To be warriors of change, marketers must understand tomorrow's problems today. Being marketing fit means your business remains healthy and profitable. In this University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management miniseries, we'll debate the challenges CMOs are facing, the changing MarTech landscape, and emerging data conundrums. Together with our expert guests, we'll unpack corporate culture, emotional intelligence, and the customer experience of this. And now, from the Solid Gold Studios, together with the University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management, here is your host, Carmen Murray. Before we get started and I introduce you to our guest today, I would like to tell you a very, very quick story. So I was at a coffee shop. I was waiting for a meeting to arrive. And behind me is two people having a business meeting because it's a business meeting environment. And obviously, I'm like a lighthouse. I'm always picking up because I'm into customer experience and CX audits and all of that kind of thing. I always listen in conversations and see how I can improve things. There's this conversation happening behind me. If they ever listen to this episode, I hope that they um, listen to this full podcast. But they were sitting and said, okay, it's that time of the year. We need to talk about profit share, how everybody performed and who's getting their bonuses. And the discussion that was happening behind me literally dropped my jaw to the floor. Because they were talking about things like this person shouldn't get the, their commission um, because they're not very much liked within the organization. Or this person shouldn't get their commission because they're too charismatic, have too many things to say. I was typing it out as it was happening because I posted it on LinkedIn. So I'm just going to refer to that. So it was like too charismatic and opinionated was, was what they said. You know, for me, in the age that we live in, I know I was picking up stompies, of, like they would say in South Africa. And it's like, I don't know, how, do, how would you translate that in English? But I was picking up information, bits and pieces, what's happening around us. But is that really a fair way of assessing your staff because you want to make profit share? Not really basing it on real KPIs and cahootsing away from the office on how you can make yourself look better I don't know. It just didn't sit right with me. And I did feel that it needs to be a conversation that we need to unpack. So today in studio, we've got Hamali Joshi, and she's from the Department of Anthropology and Development Studies. And she's currently studying her PhD in coffee. Welcome. How are you, Hamali? I'm good, thanks. And you? Thank I'm, you for having us on the show. Are you more than welcome? I can't wait to hear what's in that mind of yours. Let me tell you that. Then we've got a Solda Liber, senior lecturer at the Department of Marketing Management, specialist in marketing education. And then we also have Beata Steeler Mulder, marketing specialist, senior lecturer, and a marketing coordinator at the Department of Marketing Management. Now, Isolde and Beata are doctors and they've done their PhDs. Isolde, what, what did you do your PhD in? I actually did my PhD on how grade 12 students, what are the factors that are affecting their choice in choosing universities in South Africa? Really? Yes. That very is interesting. amazing. This is very interesting. I would love to read it. Very interesting. <gasps> a huge, huge sample of schools, yes, participated. That is incredible. And Beata, yours? 
I did mine uh, specifically in luxury branding and uh, I was very fascinated with our conspicuous consumption culture in South Africa. So I specifically developed uh, particular market segments to understand and to target particular marketing luxury consumers in South Africa. I think it's important for us just to set context. So what is the state of corporate culture in South Africa? What is the research showing us? Where are all the blind spots and how is corporate culture evolving? The good, bad and ugly that's rearing its head. Corporate culture is in a very challenging space at the moment for two reasons. Contextually, being in South Africa, post-apartheid South Africa, we are still engaging with issues on transformation as well as diversity. And how do you create a culture when we have such multiple cultures and have to deal with issues of transformation, especially where women empowerment is concerned? At the same time, we have also these global you know, shifts and changes that are taking part. And coming from UJ4IR is not a new, mm. a new term. But um, through AI and automation, we have all these questions of, okay, what's going to happen to the world of work in the future? Mm. What is going to influence those changes? And how is corporate culture going to be shifted when, when we think of space? Is it going to be our physical spaces and architecture is going to be changing? Mm. Are people going to be working remotely? And what does that mean in terms of having a vision and a mission and a belief system that's embodied by a corporation? I love that. I quite agree, I have to say. I mean, the other thing also that I was thinking about, if you were just thinking being you know, at UJ and the companies that we work for, how it actually changed the culture of working and engaging with your staff mm. – in the you know last 10 to 13 years is immense we you know we have more working from home days you have remote access and all of these things change so it brings back the question if you read up on what culture actually is it says all about the values how the value system is being communicated in a company or in a department wherever you work so how is this new in, you know, not new, new, but this uh, technology age, how's it going to impact actual culture and going forward? I think for me, the interesting thing in particular with us working remotely, I think that we are seeing a slight shift to a more of an output-based culture as opposed to input-based. And I think it actually becomes a lot more challenging when you are in an output-based. Um, there's no expectation of particular hours, particular times that you have to be there. There's nobody babysitting you or watching you. And uh, I think that actually creates a lot more stress and pressure because you can work any time of the day. Mm. And I think it's a huge mm. challenge for people to start to discipline themselves to have a switch-off button because you're connected all the time. Mm. Um, and I think that's one thing which, which is showing an interesting movement in terms of corporate culture as well. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing that you're mentioning there because, I mean, if you think about it, now that we all have WhatsApp lines, this morning at 6 o'clock I had like 30 coming through, so it's like you, you can never switch off. And the thing is it shows online, so you're online, so everybody mm. feels that they have access to you. So there's no boundaries in terms of that. Adding to that is just thinking about these identities. You know, mm. in corporate culture they talk about these different identities that you have. So your social identity versus your work, and these are becoming more and more entangled you know in this yes. relationship i mean from your example of whatsapp and i think about email as well we're on holiday south africans are known for not switching off from email and seeing email as work which mm. is another conversation altogether in france i believe that if you it's not legal to send emails after five o'clock 
Hello. <laughs> I want to go there. Yeah. Are you, I read I read that and I, I can't remember exactly what the time is, but it was a very particular cut off time and it was more. a very deliberate thing to get people to switch off because it is becoming a massive, massive problem. Yeah, they reckon that like, if we can just solve that problem in itself, that would put companies into a huge advantage. But also another thing is I think people also define cultures. Let's put a, a foosball table out and let's have tennis tables and, you know, let's get drunk on Friday afternoons, that kind of thing. Where, just to your point, Isolde, is if we look and we think about this clearly, so you would say, Karat, you know, a culture is defined by values, which is 100% correct. But what's happening in this age of we living in is we're chasing the bright and shiny new objects. And as Jeff Bezos would say, chasing the new objects is short-lived. But when you chase value, that's long-lived. So if you really fortify yourself in strong values, I think that's where a business can really thrive. We do a lot of study in marketing on the millennials, and I know we flock the poor people, but it's because they are the young entering people into the market and they are new consumers. So we do quite a lot of research, marketing-related research, but the demographic theme that's really coming out is how important balance is for the millennials. They're very different from the Generation X in that they actually realize that they do need this balance. And I had a guest speaker last night at my honors lecture. It's the third time that this lecture was lecturing this class. And when we walked home at nine o'clock, so all you out there, we work hard. Work balance. Work balance, you know, but we're helping the people who work hard. So they need to study at night. And the guest speaker said to me, you know how interesting it is, it's all the being here three years ago and today. You know what the students asked me afterwards? They asked me about social impact. What will be the social impact? He was talking about the fourth industrial revolution last night because we're talking about the impact of that on marketing. So we got somebody out to do that. And he said, well, three years ago, it was about how can I make money? How can I start my own business and make money? Three years later, it's all about the social impact. And, you know, that is making you think that Mm. it is shifting. Yes, we have values, but it is shifting. And Mm. if companies are not going to adapt that, I think they're going to lose people. Such a valid point. I think for me, what really stands out here is that companies need to have values, but they need to define their values broad Mm. because the world has become too dynamic. If I say broad, I don't mean don't know what you're about, but encompassing is maybe the better word. And if I think of UJ in particular, one of our values is imagination. And Mm. I love that because it says so many things. It encourages you to imagine new things and especially to reimagine things and it fits in so nicely with all the technological advancements that are coming in and Mm. those kinds of things so I think it's important that when you set your values they need to be encompassing and it needs to be future fit in terms of a changing environment because you can't change your values every year you need something which is broad enough Mm. to be encompassing enough for all the change that's coming because it's just all the time if things are changing 100% as we're living in an age where we have to become future fit solving tomorrow's problems today marketers have a, a big scope and I've been reading a lot of title changes happening in the big organizations like PNG, Unilever I've got some interesting material for you guys to read which I'll share in the links of the show it is so important for marketers they need to start managing internal cultures they need to manage relationships and it's going to be a very, very tough challenge in the future, right? 
Definitely. So on that discussion is what do you think are the challenges that businesses will face tomorrow if they don't address the corporate culture and leadership destroying cultures within their organizations? If I can answer just from my own heart, really, is that <laughs> people will leave. I think especially, again, the younger generations are not as loyal as the older generations. Mm. So if it is not fitting, you will leave and mm. you can lose really good skills. I wish I could go and kill those. Not really kill, that's awful. <laughs> but uh, go and speak to those, you know, that organization that you ears drop on. But the issue is that... You know, if you say somebody is not charismatic, for example, I mean, then you shouldn't be working there because there should be a company would really, really value that, mm. that you're charismatic and opinionated. Mm. And just on a personal note, when I worked in England at an accountancy firm, so that tells everything, but I still love accountants, uh, if there's any accountant that's listening to this, they said to me, I'm, Mini markets are yeah, accountants. Yeah, they said that uh, I'm over-enthusiastic. So, I mean, yes, obviously, I, like. I probably was over-enthusiastic for a accountancy environment in marketing. I mean, they needed a bit of excitement in their lives. So, uh, but in teaching, it's a wonderful thing to be exactly. over-enthusiastic. So, I think also people will become quite smarter that you need to know where you fit mm. because you won't thrive if you're in a culture that doesn't sit good with you or sit 100%. well with you. Just further to your point, I can completely relate because I studied BCOMT. I wanted to become a forensic auditor. <laughs> you can see the, the enthusiastic yes. part there, the yes. disconnect. Yes. But isn't that where the problem becomes a problem is this whole thing about diversity inclusion because diversity inclusion is not just about the color of your skin, what culture mm. you represent, but mm. it's also about who you are and what type of personality you are and what dynamic you can bring to the table. Mm. Yes, just to add on there, I think there's so many layers. We're dealing with Gen X, Gen Y, the millennials, mm. the diversity and transformation. We are talking about automation, the fourth industrial revolution and AI, which fall under our umbrella. And then we need to think about humans and individuals mm. with different personalities, different background. South Africa is a very patriarchal country. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, where men still have a lot of power. And I think the issue comes in and the challenges is these power differentials that exist within organizations. And whether it's gender differences, the stereotypes that arise, the age, age is a huge thing, you know, and in many societies, like in parts of the States, USA, the elderly and the aged are really not seen as a dysfunctional part of the society, but mm. there are spaces for them to go to after they leave this industrialized mode of production. Mm. And the question we need to ask is, how do we create that value? You know, what does corporate culture really mean? Because culture has been around for a long time. Culture is very broad. And when we throw in all these things into the mix, such as diversity, transformation, stereotypes, gender, age, then how do you create a culture that's inclusive of everyone? And I think that's something that corporations should be thinking about. I think something that stands out for me is that to me, and I'm strictly speaking from personal perspective and personal experience, is that your organization's culture is very much, well, not just your organization, but your department, for example,'s culture is very much dictated specifically with the boss that you've got at that mm. stage. Who's the leader? Who's the person in the seat? And I think 
that's what makes it frustrating because you'll be at a place for a long time and you'll go through these seasons. Mm. Then it's a good time, then it's a bad time. It depends who the boss is at the end of the day. And I think that is very challenging to have a boss in a department which speaks to a larger corporate culture so that Mm. there actually is a corporate culture. You have a departmental culture more than you have a corporate culture half the time. And I see so many things often on LinkedIn where people say, I left the organization not because the work was too much, because I hated my boss. And that is the big thing for me is I think that corporate culture starts with empowering leaders, having a clear discussion on what leadership is about, putting those people in training, putting investing in them. There's a lot of instances, I'm sure the audience can relate to a lot of people where you've seen them getting into a position and you think, how did this happen? How did this person get this position? And at the end of the day, there should really be a responsibility from the organization side to invest in people that are truly leaders and that are instilling an overall organizational culture. So that it doesn't become this fragmented departmental issue. And I love the company, but the department, that boss, oh, it was just too much. Yeah. So that to me is something where I feel companies can invest, having proper leaders and having an organizational culture and values instilled in that particular person. I love that. It's almost like managing up. Like you'll have leadership that manages up and then you'll have people that work more collaboratively with their teams we're a team we have these goals we have to achieve it together and the problem with managing up is that it's I don't know if I have the right words for it but it's more about me as it is about any of my team members and Solda you mentioned something very profound is you know people leave and they take that skill with them so if you've upskilled people you've trained them and you don't treat people well It's not just about leaving, it's about what they say when they leave and what message goes into the industry because the industry is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yes. You know, if we get back to the actual answer of what are the challenges that businesses face tomorrow, I think the challenge also is that you can't ignore corporate culture Mm. because from a marketing perspective, it can become a differentiator. Mm. And the culture is a huge part of your brand. And people can copy and paste products and services like this today. But to copy and paste the culture is really not that easy. So from a marketing perspective, it really becomes something quite amazing that you can play with. I love that. I actually want to refer to something. It's a YouTube video that I saw by a gentleman called, I think it was Jacob Morgan. And what he said was something so profound is... He looks at corporate culture almost as something like a pill. So when a pharmaceutical company advertises a pill, it will say to you, take this medication, but it could cause nausea. It could cause this. It could cause bleeding eyes. And it can cause death if not used or with this particular thing. And it's almost like we need to look at the symptoms of your corporate culture. If I had to swallow the pull of your culture, what are the symptoms that I'm going to experience in my life? Hair loss, uh, stress, Mm -hmm. anxiety, what is it going to bring into my life? And I think for me, that was a profound insight because I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. It's like really taking an audit of your culture. I love that description of what is going to happen to me when I take the pull of this culture. It's so cool. Hair loss, strength, anxiety. Very good. Botox. Botox. Yes. (laughs) Oh, shame. Okay. Let's get into another, another interesting conversation. So in South Africa recently, I think it was workmen's attorneys. They had won a case which was particularly around corporate bullying. 
and it happened, I think, in July 2019. And very, very interesting is that although corporate bullying is not written in our legislation or labor law as yet, they managed to win the case on discrimination. I will share the link for the audience to read through because it's very, very interesting. But importantly, there is the person that won this case for corporate bullying got compensated 24 months salary. Very, very serious thing. And recently, because I mean, I hang out with quite a lot of senior executives and corporate people and a lot of them suffer from depression. CEOs, in fact, suffer from the most depression in South Africa, or not South Africa, actually on a global scale. But more importantly, is that you find people commit suicide. It's a real thing. People get bullied to such an extent where their morals are completely destroyed. They are not treated with dignity and respect. I mean, where does one draw the line? I mean, this is a real thing that's happening out there. And I think in a time where we're so much in competition and we're so money-driven and we're leaving culture behind, it is becoming a huge issue. Corporate bullying is not okay, but yet it exists. I mean, we hear stories all the time around sexual harassment or juniorization, mm. you know, and it, and it exists in every different form. Mm. And I think it goes back to what you said. It's not part of the legislation as yet. Mm. So there's no protection and it's, it's a means to put people in their place mm. or a means to deal with people that you find challenging to come to terms with whether it's diversity or whether it's gender, whatever those issues are and these power differentials that exist, mm -hmm. if you're in a position of power, you can use corporate bullying to manage people. But don't you think people bully because they know they can get away with it? I mean, if you know you won't get away with it, then you won't do it. So yeah. if it's not part of the culture to do it, then So that comes back to it. values. So it comes yes. back to values. And I agree completely. I think in organizational anthropology, Michael Henderson speaks about cult versus culture. Mm. And he defines a cult as, you know, a leader that believes in himself, you know, and is all self-driven and goes back to what you were saying. And at the same time, culture, on the other hand, is a leader that can recognize their people. Mm. And the type of angle or the route you decide to take as a leader, whether you want to be self-driven, self-motivated, very egocentric, you will respond to people in a completely different way. And then we get results. Those leaders that are results-driven and those that happiness and values, you know, are part and parcel of what they see as important of that corporate culture. And I agree with you completely there. It is, you allow it to happen. And it, I think it boils down to your personal values mm. as a leader. Mm. I think for me, again, it highlights that thing of the importance of investing in the leader. I think a lot of people get put into positions because they are hard workers. They were excellent at what they do in their day jobs, but they were not groomed to necessarily be a leader. Yes. And I think that is a massive challenge and organizations need to appreciate that they need to invest in these people, send them on the courses, Get them the mentor because it is stressful. I really think that speaks volumes in terms of how you are going to treat your staff. If you've got that proper training and you've got that investment in you because that leader makes all the difference. Isolde, you're going to love this one. Okay. I don't know if you've heard about the Zappos case study of how they... I have. <laughs> 
Okay. So I have a lot to say about it. Oh, yay. We're going to talk about it. Okay. So Zappos is, for me, one of the most amazing brands out there that demonstrate how you do corporate culture. Yes. Um, they basically, in short, you get fired based on 10 core values. So, you yes. know, when you go into offices and it's got the whale <laughs> in the background and it says, I don't know. We have fresh perspectives. We have this. We have that. I don't know. Those weird missions. I hate those things. It makes me think of, I don't know, for those people that watched, um, what was it, How I Met Your Mother, Barney Stinson had those <laughs> in the back of his office. And that to me was just the epitome of like fake corporate culture. <laughs> Get somebody in to sort that out. But they don't believe in that. So you basically get fired. So if you're mm. not kind to a customer, if you are stirring nonsense in the corporate environment, if you create politics, it doesn't matter how good you are at your job, you'll get fired. So that's how they handle it. And they have apparently one of the happiest cultures ever. They do sumo wrestling. They mm. People they have over like a million people like um, applying for jobs via yes. YouTube. People playing guitar, singing the 10 core values just to get a job at Zappos. Amazing. So maybe, Soldo, maybe you want to take that one. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I would really encourage the audience to actually go and, you know, at YouTube, go and I don't want to say Google, but YouTubing Zappos. Mm -hmm. And just, it, it's just amazing. I mean, it, that environment will absolutely drive me crazy because it's amazingly busy. I mean, that office <laughs> with, I mean, it's leaves. The one look like a jungle his office that he's working in it's just I, I don't know how they can do it but what I love about the CEO Tony I don't know how to pronounce his surname ish sh say sorry I don't know but he said Zappos is a customer service company that just happens to sell shoes yes. and I think that is absolutely the essence of it and he says the game is a lot more enjoyable when you're trying to do more than just make money and also in this video, I mean, I watched two videos on YouTube, but one of it, he actually says that it's more difficult to get into Zappos than it is to get into Harvard. And that yes, made me think yes. that, I mean, how amazing is wow. that if people really want to work there? And if you look at their ads that go out to customers and it's mostly on word of mouth, or, uh, you know, that they actually do the marketing, you will actually also see that they are 24-7, so they have a customer service line 24-7 and still there are people to choose to work there for that long hours and he can choose whoever he wants, but he can fire on corporate. He can fire on corporate culture, excuse me. He can fire on culture because it's stipulated. And I don't, I mean, we are not legal specialists, but I think it's very difficult in South Africa. Mm. We're very focused on yeah. uh, skills and talent and can you do the job? And it is good, but, you know, the culture needs to be right mm. as well. And he mm. has a free hand to actually, you know, find it if you don't fit the corporate culture. And they look happy. I have to say. Uh, I mean, even the customers are happy. I like don't know what corporate pull they are drinking. <laughs> <laughs> really don't culture pull. But the systems are good. Really amazing, yes. yes. Anti-anxiety. <laughs> I mean, they even have a happy coach. Yes, and they have a coach. Yes. They have a coach. So yes. that gives out hugs all day. Yes. Um, like it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm amazed. I need to go in, have a look. Oh, you have to. <laughs> Listening to you, um, the first thing that comes to mind is that they know what they're investing in. 
Yes. You know, it's clear and cut out. If I get fired, I did not meet any of these requirements. But at the same time, there's so much within the corporate culture that allow the person to feel like they're valued and they're being invested in. So it's almost like this interchangeable relationship where yes. it's not that you're just giving, 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 and you're just getting the check at the end of the month. And again, like you said, in South Africa, we don't know with you know the legislation and that how that would work out. But the minute, going back to what Piate is saying, is investing in your people, leaders, yes. in, investing in your leadership is really important for that mm. culture. But Zappos also have a life coach. And if you, I don't know if any of you have seen Billions. Yes. If you watch, that is a total different culture. But anyway, that is a distinct co- a corporate culture of, you know, we eat each other up. And um, I mean, they actually come in on New Year's Eve, but yeah. they also have a life coach in the office. And I've seen this as, a, and, and I was wondering, so it seems like this is not very American driven, yeah. but I mean, it, I think it will fly over to other countries as well, is that the mental health and the human wholeness and happiness seems to be noticed, mm-hmm. which probably wasn't the case 20 years ago. And I don't think it's a bad idea. I would love a life coach at my office. I think it's amazing Like when you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm stressing out, I'm freaking out, this is happening, Like, help me now. In one of our other episodes where we cover EQ, it's important also – Sometimes you're going to have a conflicting situation and it would be really nice to have somebody that can tell you emotionally how to deal with the situation because you don't want to create animosity and you can deal with the problem right there and then in the appropriate way rather than asking Alexa. Yes. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Or go to HR. (laughs) Or go to HR. Speaking about HR, this was an international talk that I was listening to and it was specifically around... Uh, female equality and gender equality and it's by Cindy Gallup and she was talking about the fact that women like for example would be sexually harassed in the work environment and it's really handled so badly where HR um, handles it in such a disgusting manner where they are part of the payoff to say okay right Um, let's finalize this and give you a payoff and never talk about it again there's the door I know of a situation very close to home, and I'm not going to mention the names because it's a very highly confidential uh, case that happened, Um, but he used to be a director for a big company, and he was told he sexually harassed this woman, and he was like, what are you talking about? They fired him on the spot. They found him guilty. They got the secretary to admit to it that he sexually harassed her. He went to a full, full depression almost took his life. He and his wife was about to divorce, lost the house. It was really, really bad. And later on found out from the secretary that she was threatened to lose her job if she did not admit to it. And that's how they got rid of him because they didn't want him to be on the board anymore. Sure. So... We can say they don't happen or we can pretend they don't happen, but the reality is these things happen. And I, I think I think just just to the opening of, of this discussion that we've had is we really need to start looking at how do we solve these problems of tomorrow. Going back, I mean, Henderson, that organizational anthropologist who I love listening to, talks about RH versus HR. And he says HR are human resources. I mean, using humans as resources, which is already 
mm. a power dynamic that exists there. Whereas if we turn it around and look at resources, humans, that's what role HR should be playing. They should be resourcing humans. And I think the way in which we term and think of our positions within a corporate are just as important because it will embody the terms that we create as well. So, yeah. Just oh, that's so powerful. Working. Resourcing humans. You said Henderson. Henderson, yeah. Michael Henderson. Oh, I love that. I'm so going to research that. Okay, so another discussion is um, something that I would like to bring up. Micromanagement. <laughs> oh, and we hate that. Oh, especially Come us creative in. people. Listen, I just we have don't to like let, it. I know, Mm-mm. but it's. I think it's tactical. But I, we'll get into that. But you see, that's where I lose my EQ skills is with micromanagement. But I mean, that is just one way to either get somebody to leave, destroy their soul, making them feel incompetent, losing confidence. And you know what? If I think if people get to a stage where they micromanage so badly, nobody can actually have the EQ to to deal with a person like that because you just feel like you can't move left or right. I, micromanagement is a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust, but it's also a position of power. Mm. And I think depending on the person in the situation, it can be used to really dehumanize and break souls. Yeah. And, you know, I think it would be part of the corporate culture, I mean, or systemic of the leadership within the corporate culture. But yeah, it's really problematic, but also a response to, to our legislation and lack of protection of employees. I just wanted to add on that I think with micromanagement, it's definitely like a lack in your own confidence and ability to manage people as well. And it comes back to the trust in people. But I think you also, and it shows to me a leadership immaturity and leadership development that needs to take place. I really think that is to me the core. And that's why I keep on hammering on invest in the leaders just because it was the best person at their particular job, it does not automatically mean this is the best leader. If you want someone to be a leader, invest in them, help them. Not everybody has a natural ability. And they are. When they're going to have self-doubt, when they're not going to have confidence in themselves, that's when you're going to see people micromanaging. And that's a symptom of that, at least in my opinion. That's I've never I thought about it that way. Mm. Very interesting. I would uh, like to actually add on to what Imali said about position of power, and I, t- mm. I totally agree about that. And, but it's also about pressure. I think sometimes managers micromanage because in the end of the, the day, they are going to be on the performance appraisal or performance something. And there's a lot of pressure to perform. And if your staff is not performing, then it looks bad on you. So the best way to making sure that you are performing is by controlling everybody to make sure that everybody's performing so that you can be performing yeah. so it's that chase for this immense pressure to always perform yeah which is why you need to instill the confidence in your staff and make I sure agree. that they're competent so that you can feel confident in them because micromanaging is not an option there's so many posts so many articles on micromanaging people hate it they don't like it people want to feel trusted and the leader should grow confidence at the right. end of the day should grow people's confidence and and feel empowered mm, um, and empower them because i think that at the end of the day let's look at this through the eyes of a cmo or the future ceo that will be the cmo 
I mean, the the interesting thing is that this is one of the big problems that they would also need to resolve because it exudes into the customer experience. Yes. Which is also another topic that we're covering in more in depth. But I mean, it exudes into the customer experience. So when people are unhappy, they are short and frustrated and they're not empowered, they are weak and they don't feel like doing this job. And it's just a vicious, vicious cycle. And it becomes a very hard thing for a marketer to try and manage and navigate through this situation. Definitely. Okay. So another thing is we have touched on that is finding talent is becoming extremely challenging and more and more people can't handle working in the environment where there's so much corporate politics. So they prefer freelancing. So what happens is companies don't actually get access to this amazing talent. And you find that the most amazing talent are the people that don't want to work for corporates. So they don't get access to them and they can work with whoever they choose. And that's becoming a huge trend. Um, I know for a fact within the banks of South Africa, there is a huge challenge in that. Can we maybe unpack that a bit? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking a lot about, even in, I mean, the area I'm working on is we work in silos. Boom. We work in silos. And I think we cannot tap into talent if we continue to stay within one worldview mm. and what we know. And that's why all the recent literature on agile ways of working, working in universal teams are so key because the minute you tap into different areas of an organization and institution, you begin to recognize talent. Mm. It might be better fit to problem solve that area that you're working in than if you would work within that silo. So true. Silo departments create siloed experiences. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, That I think that's something which is a... Okay, there's another way to put it, but it's an age-old problem, That really, that there's a silo mentality. And I think with technology and everything happening today, there's a lot of ways in which you can have better integration, better communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it, it's so bad that you even have, in certain organizations, a marketing department and a digital department, and the two of them don't even communicate properly. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunately mm-hmm. what happens out there. So it's a definite challenge, and I think technology can really help to solve a lot of these issues because I really think that in today's day and age, you know, we want to create integrated customer experiences and seamless customer experiences. But really, if we're not going to use some sort of tools, we need to stop talking about integration and living inside us and we need to start thinking, what are the tools? What can we use to start this integration? What are the operational steps that we can take? Should we have a weekly meeting with the head of each and every department? Should we have mailers and communication? And this is something where marketers can do a lot using internal marketing principles, Mm. you know, to get that cohesion. Simple things like, you know, having events and things where people get to know one another. It's just, you know, you're more familiar and it's easier to work with someone if you've had a casual conversation with them. So those are things that I would definitely recommend. Let's stop talking about this and let's start operationals and see what can we do because this has to, if we want to create those great customer experiences which are integrated, then we have to start with our, our own cultures. I agree with Beata and I think these customer experiences and culture, we can also start doing at university level because the thing that really, you know, bothers me is if we push so many graduates into the market, why are people saying we can't find talent? Why mm. are they saying that? And to some extent, I understand it, but I want to go to the other side of the coin and say that there are a lot of talent mm. out there. But I've read an article in the Financial Fin24 
which actually asks about, you know, skilled, why is it so difficult to find skilled uh, talent? And actually in this article, it says it's because employability now depends not only on what you know, but on your ability to learn. Wow. Apply and adapt to the constantly evolving business landscape. So we teach skills at university level. But the learning is still a responsibility of the individual. And it's also, I think, creating that culture at university level that, yes, we've taught you some skills here, but you need to learn. You always need to learn because that is what, and this is a South African article. This is what people are looking for. They want to see that you are constantly learning and evolving and, and you want to learn. I just want to add to that, Isolde, because I agree with you. I mean, it is our responsibility at a university level. But then I, I mean, I look at the World Economic um, Forum's, you know, skills for the future world of work. And if you look at those skill set, it requires also some sort of changing of the way in which we teach and learn at the university level yes. as well. So when we talk about, you know, these silos, which is an age old problem, we need to unpack where are the underpinnings and where do they lie? And I think it's in the way in which we train our students as well. Because those skills around flexibility and creativity and collaboration and, you know, problem solving and all these skills that they've outlined for the future world of work has a lot to do with the type of training and not training within disciplines, you know, training across different disciplines to be able to learn from different worldviews, I think is key to be able to understand a problem more holistically. I love that. I know that my examples are not as academic, but (laughs) (laughs) there is um, an amazing video I watched the other day on Goldcast. I sound so like I'm from the 90s, hey, it's the 80s video, (laughs) like VH1. It's not the Golden Girls. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so um, long story short, this daughter, um, she says to her mom, Mom, I want to do track racing. I want to start running. And her mom, and I grew up very, very poor. And her mom said to her, you know what? We don't have money, but I am going to buy a pair of shoes. And she needed Nike shoes so that she could do the track race running, et cetera, et cetera. So her mom bought her the shoes. But when she gave her the shoes, she bought them two sizes too big. And her mom said to her, here's your shoes. You need to run in them until they fit. And I think... That's a very profound insight based on um, people leaving varsity. They've just studied. Okay, maybe sometimes people finish their PhDs or whatever the case might be. But taking that information and putting it into practice, you need to to grow into it. Mm. It's not just like you have to take that knowledge and live it, work with it and build the experience with it and run with it. And if you're not going to use that information, knowing is doing. Yes, experience is everything completely agree with you i like that i like that analogy because it really allows i mean one to visualize what we're trying to say Mm. and yeah really like that analogy yeah no i i also definitely agree um you know that experience is it's everything definitely but i think what i've encountered from being in industry myself is that you sometimes get so fixated on the day-to-day and operational stuff that then you again don't have the opportunity to learn and to take things into depth. So I would say it's really a balance between always continuously learning and obviously, you know, having the experience. You know. As Alvin Toffler would put it, mm-hmm. we need to learn the skill to learn, unlearn, and relearn mm. because 
The literates mm. of the 21st century are those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Do some tweets out there, UJ Marketing Fit, and share some, some of your insights and experiences um, that would really be valuable. But in tradition, we play games here. Hmm. As you know, Yata. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so um, we are going to listen to Barry Hilton. We're going to play his game. Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here, and welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have I got something lacquer to show you? I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers, but this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question, and all you have to do is answer Three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Uh, well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks, get it. Go. It's no banks. It's insurance companies. Okay, German-made cars. Audi, BMW, Mercedes. French-made cars. Uh, Renault, Uno, Renault, Renault. Okay, one more. Peugeot, Peugeot. Okay, ranks in the military. Uh, Corporal, surgeon, sergeant, major. Oh, wow. 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 It's a wine label. International marathons. The Boston Marathon, the New York Marathon, the Athens Marathon. Oh, Grand Prix circuits. Uh, was won at Hungary last week. Uh, Silverstone, Silverstone in UK. Whoa! Yes, yes, Marina. Marina. yes Marina. Marina. Yes, 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 Marina. The marathons, yeah, but I'm running. The military so. one. Yeah, but you saw there's a runner. That oh, makes sense. And yeah, the military, where did that yes. come from? Yes. Go what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's some reading books. Like, like, wow. Do not mess with a soldier. Yeah, yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm an underlying FBI agent. He knows everything. Anyway, ladies, thank you so much. And this is an incredible initiative by the University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management. Getting you marketing fit. You've been listening to the Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.